Kevin, last night, WWE crowned their new WWE World Heavyweight Champion as Seth Rollins raised the title above his head next to Triple H. And today, yeah. we thought for this week's Elite Heat, we do something topical, something relevant, something interesting. We discuss WWE's history with the big gold belt. So yeah. before we get started, Kevin, how you doing, pal? Oh, I'm lovely, pal. Lovely. I got my Eddie Guerrero shirt on. Look at that. I'm your puppy, Dominic. So, yeah. What's your uh, your Rocket Wrestling merch too, pal? Let's see it. Yes, I am, pal. I'll reveal that in due time for oh. our uh, YouTube listeners. You'll see that. So that's a way to see what, what I'm rocking underneath this puffer jacket. But, Kevin, with that being said, do you want to jump right into this? Because there's a lot to discuss with this title. There's a lot we can yell about, what we can scream about. I'll throw it to you. Where do you want to start? Where do you want to kick this off, pal? Pal, let's talk about the very beginning of the big gold belt, the WCW Championship, the World Heavyweight Championship, its lineage in the WWE. So the first time yes. we saw this belt make an appearance, and yeah, we're talking about the belt that Ric Flair held and Dusty Rhodes and Sting, you know, the one that Hogan was spraying the NWO on, that belt when it came to WWE. It was a WCW belt in 01, and, you know, I think The Rock had it, Jericho, Booker T, some guys like that. But then in 02, on an episode of Raw, uh, what was this? On September 2nd, 2002. So the Undisputed Championship became the WCW belt and the WWF belt. That was the one that Brock Lesnar held and the title that Eddie Guerrero famously held and JBL, guys like that. WWE was like, hmm, we need to make another championship. Can't have Brock Lesnar only on SmackDown. We can't have that. So what WWE decided to do, what Vince McMahon did was legitimately hand the belt over to his son-in-law on an episode of Raw. And Eric Bischoff comes out. And it's like, all right, I'm going to give you this belt, Triple H, because you are Vince McMahon's son-in-law, and you deserve it. And that's where we get started with the big gold belt in, uh, in WWE. And I believe it was referred to as the WWE World Heavyweight Championship, right? Or was it just referred to as the World Heavyweight Championship? It was just the World Heavyweight Championship. That's just what it was. Um, there wasn't the double viewing in front of it, thankfully. But um, right. yeah, I Yeah. So yeah, that's uh, that infamous segment is where we started with this lineage. Any any honest thoughts on, on uh, how they brought this belt in? Yeah, my stance for this has always been the same. I thought the way they did it was dumb. I, I did. Um, I thought what they should have done is introduced at Survivor Series, that Elimination Chamber match is probably the greatest ever. It should have been decided, the first champion should have been crowned through that match. Hmm. You should have had Michaels win the match, do, do the match as was, only instead of Triple H, <gasps> walk into Madison Square Garden with that title, have it like have Eric Bischoff come out before the match and be like, this championship will be won tonight. And he can like, you know, be slapping the steel like he did and being like inside this chamber and making this big thing. And Jim Ross being like, by God, he's like screaming. Do it that way. Instead, Kevin, Beautiful. Paul Levesque was literally just coming out with a big thing on his forehead because he'd been like cut at SummerSlam from the unsanctioned match. And Bischoff was just like, here you go. And Triple H is like, <laughs> so yeah, it could have been brought in in a bit better, I guess, manner. Um, I thought they should have done through the chain match. Kevin, do you think why I said there's fair? Talk to me, pal. I, I think it is fair. Uh, the only thing that I am concerned about is the time frame. So the belt was introduced September 2nd, 02. The Elimination Chamber match was November 17th. That's a little over two months, almost three months of time in between. Um, you know, I mean, they could have done, like, a tournament, or they could have just waited. Yeah, they could have just announced, like, a month out before Survivor Series, just be like, this Elimination Chamber match is for the World Heavyweight Championship. Yeah. And I do think Shawn Michaels winning it in that grandiose moment that he had at Survivor Series, I think that would have been a, a really um, memorable way to introduce the belt. It would have been something that we look back on now and we're like, wow, that was cool. What a way to introduce the title, man. That's the bar. Like, it's hard to beat that. Shawn Michaels yeah. goes through this grueling Elimination Chamber match, the first ever Elimination Chamber match. It's star-studded. You know, you had uh, Jericho in there. You had, was I don't know if Goldberg was in there. No, he wasn't. You had Kane, RVD, yeah. Triple H, Shawn, Booker T, all these stars. A who's who of that era of wrestling. And yeah, if that would have been the uh, the crowning moment, it would have been so cool. Yeah, like how you could have done it, because you mentioned the time frame. You could have had in September, Eric Bischoff goes... Yeah, classic Bischoff. I've got something that's going to change wrestling, change the landscape for good, like I did in WCW. I've got a piece of WCW I'm going to bring to this. I'm going to make Raw, the A show. Have Bischoff make it about himself and then announce it sometime in September. Survivor Series, something big is going to happen. They're going to do everything in Survivor Series. 
there's going to be an elimination chamber match and they can do like qualifying matches. Like one person qualifies each week or something. And then Shawn Michaels could have been like the last one to qualify. He lost his qualifying match to Triple H in like a Raw main event, for instance, in October. And then Shawn finally struggles to qualify. He comes in number one. He wins the chamber. So it's a legendary moment, which, which is what we saw. Um, and they could have done it that way. But nonetheless, Kevin, double beauty. What actually happened, as we know, here you go, Paul Levesque. Here you go. Here's your championship. There you go, pal. There you go. <laughs> I love it. All right, so let me ask you this. In your opinion, what do you think is the greatest reign uh, under this the lineage of this belt? Greatest reign. Okay. So this is the yeah, from 2002 through until 2013. Yes. This is the time frame. Yeah. Greatest reign. To be honest, for me, my favorite would be uh, when Batista held it on SmackDown. Um, I think that was, what was that? Oh, five six I that think. was from wrestlemania 21 until he relinquished the title and i believe it was february when he or january when he relinquished the title of 06 yeah. it was yeah january 10th 06 so from april 3rd 05 to january 10th 06 almost 300 days yeah because to me kevin the best representation of that title that big gold belt in the wwe in this new millennium was batista coming out this jack dude in suits big gold belt he's got the sunglasses He's having those that that pay-per-view match series of Triple H, which was like epic, that trilogy they had. And then he did the stuff throughout the rest of the year. He was the really the face of SmackDown. He was, you know, Double Bury's other co-star alongside Cena, who was on Raw. And I thought that was just the best representation of the title personally. Um, I'll throw it back to you. What was your favorite one? Do you agree it was Batista or you got someone else? No, my favorite was definitely Batista's, for sure. Uh, that was like peak of my fandom as a kid. I remember watching SmackDown every week. Just being enthralled with Batista and you know the stuff he did with Eddie Guerrero um, later on in that reign and, and everything he did really after Raw the, the trilogy with uh, with Triple H I can't remember what his first feud was when he had I think it was Edge if I remember correctly I don't know no I don't remember when he first got to SmackDown maybe it was Eddie when he first got to SmackDown I, I should I should be more prepared but um, come on pal come on pal this is the credibility of our podcast pal I know right no but yeah Batista it was awesome. Just watching him every week. Like you said, counterpart to Cena. But another reign, too, that really interested me um, was Rey Mysterio's. You know? Like, it wasn't the great, the greatest reign. But when you look back at it, he had a 112-day reign. Like, Undertaker won the belt, like, what, four times? Barely held the title. That was always interesting for me. Um, I did like King Booker's, too. King Booker's was one that stands out from my childhood. Uh, he was at his absolute peak as a character at that time. And, you know, he held the belt for a long time. What's up, pal? Kevin, are you ignoring the legendary reign of Jack Swagger in 2010? Jeez. We'll get to that. Anyway, we'll get to that, Kevin. Sorry, carry on. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Hit hit me with it. I was going to say, because we're we're talking about the the great runs, and we'll get to the the worst runs shortly. Uh, This belt has had some stinkers, which we will get to. Um, For now, though, we're a positive podcast. We'll stay on the good, pal. Um, I thought, yeah, Batista, you agree... Yeah, Rey Mysterio deserves a mention. And I love that point about Undertaker. He never really held belts, to be honest, world titles for that long. Undertaker never needed a Roman 1000 to get over, pal. So, yeah, carry on, pal. No, go ahead. That's all I had to say. I was just... Oh, okay. So, yeah, I think we're both in agreement that Batista's reign is the best. But I, I want to talk about this, though, for a second. The overall importance of this championship. It's kind of like the, the underlying thing that you see. When, you, when you're looking at these reigns, a lot of them are short. A lot of them are hot-shotted. You know, you had, like, CM Punk having, like, a 30-day reign. You know, Ben Wall had a short reign. Guys like that. It, it felt like this title was never really, like, yeah, it was on Raw for a while. What, for, like, two years, like, four years, almost, until Batista brought it to SmackDown? And then once it went to SmackDown, it just kind of felt like a secondary title. And it was always treated as such. And that carried into the 2010s, when they eventually abolished it. But it got to a point, like, yeah, when Jack Swagger became champion, and then you go from Jack Swagger, you know, Del Rio's in there, Sheamus is in there, Ziggler's in there as champion, and it's just, like, goes oh. off a rail. So what do you make of, like, of the credibility of this championship? I think credibility, as much as people hate on the reign of terror, when you have one guy who was a part of, you know, Triple H, big-time main eventer, one of the all-time greats, a part of Evolution, on Raw in the early 2000s, when this was the like thing to win on Raw, the credibility was pretty good. 
like if you won that title, it was a big deal. I mean, infamously, um, the man who cannot be named who won at WrestleMania 20, that was a big <laughs> moment. Um, when Randy Orton won it from him at SummerSlam, that was supposed to be a big moment for him, but obviously Randy was, it was a bit too early for him. And then so on and so forth. When Batista won at WrestleMania, that main evented WrestleMania 21. They didn't main event with Cena and JBL for the double beauty title. They main evented with Batista and Triple H. So that shows you in that part of 05, as we alluded to with Batista, it was the belt. It was the prize. Not saying the WWE title was a bum title, but it wasn't on the level at the time. Um, ever since then, you get to like 07 and on. I mean, WrestleMania 24 did main event with the world title as well. Um, Edge and Undertaker, which was really good. And that Edge and Undertaker series kept the prestige and the credibility of that title going in 2008, particularly. Um, but really, Kevin, yeah, you get to 2009 and on, and it just sort of dwindles and dwindles. Then you get to the point where I'm watching Kevin. And yes, Christian versus Randy Orton was a good sort of back and forth feud in 2011 with the one more match and the pay-per-view matches they had month after month. But I remember that time period for Big Show and Mark Henry, Big Show crying because his foot got like hit with a chair and Del Rio feuding with Sheamus and Sheamus driving around in Del Rio's $250,000 car, spilling a burrito in the back seat, pal. Like that's the sort of stuff I remember the title for. And once you got to 2013 and they eventually unified it with the WWE title, it was like a good riddance almost because the belt had been run down so much from where it was in 2005 in the mid-2000s to where it got to. So, yeah, it's an interesting title. When it was around 11 years in WWE and it just it, it started pretty pretty high and then just slowly there was a blip in 08 with the WrestleMania 24 main event. And then just down it went, down it went. And, um, yeah, just pathetic hell <laughs> i love that word yeah i want to circle back to batista's reign for a moment yeah. so really the defining feud of that reign was with triple h uh over on raw you know that that's really what carried it you know on smackdown he came in and he faced jbl that was like his first feud and then he had the feud with eddie then eddie tragically passed away um as we know that was eddie's final pay-per-view match was a world heavyweight title match with batista and that was the beginning of what would have been a great storyline then you know it was some tag team stuff batista and ray they're going after eminem tag team titles and then he relinquishes the belt and really to say this like i, I make this point circling back that really like that's the most significant reign that this belt really ever had like maybe you could argue the kane reign in like 09 010 you know i've seen people say that that reign is amazing um but other than that you know edge held it for a few days here you know, CM Punk held it for a few days there. Like, it wasn't really anything. So I'm, I'm going to go through this real quick. Yeah. Looking at some of the, the longest uh, title reigns. Let me see. So you had, yeah, you had Rey Mysterio held it for 112 days. King Booker held it for 126. And then what? Edge's longest reign was 105 days. Then Edge held it for 29 days here. Jericho held it for 49 days. Hmm. I guess that's a, that's a good reign. The Jericho reign is a good one. That's one that, that is worth talking about. That really, that might have been the peak of that championship when you think about it in WWE. Because after that, it was downhill from there. After Jericho and Michaels were feuding over that belt and Jericho viciously assaulted Shawn Michaels' wife in the name of that title. I mean, that's the best storyline, in my opinion, the best storyline associated with that championship. Yeah, Triple H, you know, Batista storyline is right up there, top tier. But I think yeah. that Jericho Michaels, for me at least, that hit that hit differently as as a, a young adult watching that. Yeah, no, that version of heel Jericho was great. Um, and you can you think of just the segments. Jericho's in the suit. He's got the big gold world title. He's just like an absolute like douchebag at this stage. Mm -hmm. Sean's the baby face and the stuff they did in late '08. Um, yeah, it's probably the best. I'd say it's the best storyline, if not one of the top couple that this belt has been involved in um because yeah I mean, Batista and Triple H as you touch on was really good um but you know I I think after Mania 21 that storyline no, I think that peaked at WrestleMania but that's just me so you think so uh well that's the thing they had more matches and stuff they had the match of Backlash the match of Vengeance but the real moment of that the whole thing of that storyline was Batista dethroning Triple H Batista getting the title that was like the big thing as the payoff for months and months of the storyline with this and all that sort of stuff. And then once you got to WrestleMania and beyond, it was like, okay, well, Batista's won. Now Triple H is just trying to do everything he can to use his star power to elevate Batista more and more with more wins, which, you know, good on Triple H, Brian Solvish, I mean, but I feel like that peaked at WrestleMania. 
Yeah, it was like, it was kind of the way too, with uh, Back to Jericho for a sec, the way yeah. that he won the belt was weird. It was like a championship scramble. I don't know if you guys remember that, but it was like, like what, that was when, yeah, that was when Orton punt kicked CM Punk, and it was just like, alright, yeah, CM Punk, you're not going to be the championship scramble. They vacate the belt, they give it to Jericho. Here, Jericho, have the title. He holds it for a few days, and then Batista wins it, like a month later. And then he owes it for a week, and then they give it back to Jericho. And then they just like, here, Cena, here, take it. It it just it was so weird. But in between there, we got this great storyline with Jericho and Shawn Michaels. So it's like it still gives the validation to Batista as the best reign, yeah. just because he was a top guy. You know, he truly was having the brand built around him, and he was involved in an iconic feud. It's just, it was unfortunate that he had to give it up the way he did and vacate it. Well, the longer we talk about this title, the more those words are coming up. Hot-shotting, short reigns, yeah, nothing insanely memorable or great from it. And that's interesting to me because now, Kevin, as we allude to at the start with this and the reason we do this now, Seth Rollins has just won the, the new version of this belt. And based on the track record we've discussed with WWE in this, like, I guess, secondary prize, this consolidation sort of not WWE title title is, I don't know if nowadays it's going to be any better, honestly. It was just going to be more three-month, four-month title reign. Another guy wins it for a month. And as, as we're discussing here, Kevin, you go through the list of these champions. It's like, yeah, 49-day run, eight-day run, 28 days, 91, 22, 105, 22. That's, like, that's what this is, literally, for pretty much the reign's entire history from 06 and beyond. So it's pretty, pretty crazy when you think about it. SmackDown was just hot potatoing this title around in the late 2000s, early 2010s. And it, that was just sort of what went down. The WWE title was the title still at this stage. And then this was just, who wants it? Who wants it? You got Vince McMahon throwing the belt at people backstage. <laughs> like, Do you remember in 2011 when uh, Edge and Ziggler were feuding over the belt and Vicky Guerrero just handed Ziggler the title? It was like, here you go. Here you go, baby. Here. You know, there's your title. And then Edge just beat Ziggler for it the same night, like an hour later. <laughs> Oh, it's associated with some of the dumbest stuff that we've seen. I know. You know, it's and, and the people complain, I want to say this, people complain about Triple H and having long title reigns, complaining about the thousand day reign of Roman, the, the near 500 day reign of Bianca, the now yep. 350 plus day reign of Gunther as Intercontinental Champion. I mean, that that does a good job in establishing the, the championships, you know? Like, we're talking about it now, the more we're saying this out loud, this World Heavyweight Championship was never really established. Yeah, it was like like Triple H is given the belt. Three weeks later, he loses it to Shawn Michaels, and then it's just so on and so forth from there. You know, Triple H holds it for a little bit, then he loses it, then he gets it back, and then yeah, it, it was just repeat the process till Batista took it over to SmackDown, and then once it got to SmackDown, it was like all right, this is the Intercontinental Championship, which is basically what it was at that point. It was the equivalent of what the IC title was in the '80s and '90s when you had like the workhorse winning it or the up and coming stars winning it. That was kind of the theme after. Jericho and Sean feuded for the belt, and it was just like, all right, we're going to put it on Swagger. He's a guy that we like. Put it on Ziggler. Hey, put it on Del Rio. We want to push him. Um, yeah. Well, Good. Kevin, further to that, I want to just like go through this. I'll, I'll do this, then get, you'll get thoughts in a moment. This is from Kane's run, which you touch on. Some people look at it as like the best of the last like five years this title was around. From that run through until the end of the title, it's literally exactly what we say. So Kane holds it. Drops it to Edge in that fatal four-way match at TLC. Edge holds it for 61 days. They do that whole thing on SmackDown that you mentioned where Vicky just like, you know, takes the title, gives it to Ziggler, then Edge just wins it back within a night. Stupid. So like that happened. Um, then it gets vacated. You know, like the Edge relinquished it because of the retirement. So his run was like 50 days. And then Christian won it for like two days and Orton won it for two months. And then Christian won it for a month. And then Orton won it for a month. And then Mark Henry won it for three months. And then Big Show won it for five minutes and Daniel Bryan held it when he was clearly like, you know, he was still mid-card at that stage and he was competing with Big Show and Mark Henry and he was fluking wins and all that sort of stuff. And Sheamus beats him in 18 seconds at WrestleMania. Sheamus holds it for 210 days, pal. That literally the whole run was a Del Rio storyline, which is incredible to me. From the moment he won it through until literally October, he was feuding with Alberto Del Rio. It was one of the longest, most forgettable storylines in the modern era, Kevin. 
I'm burritos, pal. This. Pal, month after month after month after month. On Raw, it would be CM Punk. He'd be feuding with Daniel Bryan, Kane, AJ Lee. There'd be stuff with Cena and Laronitis, Cena and Punk. You know, The Rock and Punk and Raw 1000. That was like on Raw. That was what you, you cared about. Brock Lesnar and Triple H. That's what was happening there. Then on SmackDown, it's just Sheamus and Del Rio for six months. Literally, no matter what was happening, whether the sun was up, whether the sun was down, whether the kangaroos were bouncing in the outback, whether you were you know, chowing down an enchilada at the food court, pal, <laughs> no matter what was going down, pal, Sheamus and Del Rio were feuding over this title. I remember Sheamus going to court, pal, and you had like Ricardo Rodriguez trying to convict Sheamus before Night of Champions to ban the brogue kick. And you had Sheamus testifying in like a courtroom as to why the bro kick shouldn't be banned. Then he just beat Del Rio at this pay-per-view anyway. Like it was just rubbish. And then a month before that, before SummerSlam, you know, they're driving around and Sheamus is rolling around San Antonio in the $250,000 Del Rio car. Oh, I spilled a burrito fella in the backseat. This is, this is this championship, pal. This this is my memory a year into my fandom of watching this big gold belt. It was, Seamus spilling a burrito on the back seat in San Antonio. It was him rocking back up to the arena an hour later with smoke coming out of the hood with the car destroyed. Del Rio would arrive 10 minutes later shouting. He'd be grabbing Ricardo Rodriguez. Oh, my God. He, he destroyed my car. See, see. I need to lock in the cross arm breaker, pal. It was crap. It was garbage, Kevin. And then we get to the end of Seamus's run. Big Show wins it in one of the worst storylines. Kevin, do you remember the Seamus and Big Show storyline? Yes. We just had six months of Seamus and Del Rio. Then we get Seamus and Big Show, which is even worse. Big Show just beats him. And then they do like three other matches. Big Show pulls out like the biggest chair you've ever seen, clobbers Seamus in the back at TLC and just like wins a match. And you had a DQ match at Survivor Series, Kevin. This is the most forgettable stuff. Then you move to 2013, Del Rio just wins it because he tapes Big Show's legs together to the ropes and wins the last man standing match on a SmackDown. <laughs> that happened, Kevin. And then the moment everyone remembers, Raw after Mania, Kevin, Dolph Ziggler runs out. Keep in mind, the night before, the big world heavyweight title match, Kevin, the championship that Triple H held, that Batista held, Edge and The Undertaker feud over, Jericho held, Kane held in 2010, this legendary championship, not really, this, this hotshot title. The WrestleMania 29 match is Del Rio feuding <laughs> with Jack Swagger because Zeb Coulter doesn't like that Del Rio got an American passport. That was this match. Zeb Coulter had immigration issues with Alberto Del Rio and Ricardo Rodriguez was slapping his bucket saying, see, pal, that's this championship. Then you get to the night after, Everyone's mad, Kevin. Cena won at WrestleMania. Boo, we hate WWE. Vince McMahon's evil. We hate wrestling. Then you hear, I'm here to show the world. I'm here to show the world. Ziggler runs down. The Euro smarks erupt. Ziggler, he nearly loses because that's what he does. Even though Ziggler, even though Del Rio barely could walk at that stage, he was crippled. Ziggler wins the title, Kevin. This epic moment, this legendary title moment. You think, Kevin, Ziggler's going to hold the belt for months. A legendary reign. No. Del Rio just wins it back at payback because of a concussion storyline. It's Dolph Ziggler. Del Rio just won it. And Ziggler was like concussed. And he was like on the ground. And they're doing stuff with Swagger still. So, Kevin, Del Rio holds the belt for another like five months. He fused with Christian. And then Cena just wins it. Cena, keep in mind, Kevin, at SummerSlam two months prior... He's like a burster infection on his elbow. He's a lump <laughs> the size of a baseball, Kevin. It's a baseball-sized lump on John Felix Anthony Cena's elbow. He has to get immediate surgery. This is all one of the total divas in 2013. Cena's surgery. This is the big thing, Kevin. Cena gets a, a burst of surgery. You think he's going to be out for months. He comes back a month and a bit later and squashes Del Rio and Hell in a Cell. He squashes Alberto Del Rio, Kevin. And then he holds the belt for like a month, beats Del Rio at Survivor Series. And then the biggest match ever, Kevin. Kevin, forget Hogan Andre. Forget Austin Rock. Forget MJF and Daniel Bryan at Revolution. This match, Kevin. Tables, ladders, and chairs, 2013. The match to end all matches. The biggest match of all time. Cena, Orton, part 500. 
for both championships. Randy Orton's been pinned clean three times by Daniel Bryan in the past four months. Everyone knows Daniel Bryan's better than both of them. Cena Orton, pal, and then Cena's he's handcuffed to the robe. Orton throws him to the side of the table. The table doesn't break. Cena is a TLC. Cena's like this, dying on the side of the ring. Orton climbs the ladder, grabs big gold, and that was the end of this championship as a solo belt. Kevin, with that being said, talk to me. That's the last three years of this championship, wow. bluntly described. Walk us through how that made you feel. Talk to me about your brutally honest thoughts, pal. Thank you for uh, for that description and that um, that just blunt that blatant bluntly uh, summary of the the past, like from what twenty eleven to twenty thirteen of that World Heavyweight Championship in WWE. Thank you for that. That was hilarious. You went on, you went for five minutes on that. I must say, <laughs> um, I don't even know how to follow that. I don't even know what to say right now. Uh, so I'll start with this. I'll start with this. Uh, the PTSD that you brought to me right now is, is triggering, to say the least. I legitimately had PTSD of just like that Sheamus and Big Show feud over the World Heavyweight Championship. I had PTSD of that WrestleMania feud with Zeb Coulter and Jack Swagger and Del Rio. Like th- th- this was hyped up that this is like WWE hyped this up like it's Batista and Triple H from 05. Like it's the cornerstone of once in a lifetime or twice in a lifetime, pal. This is one of the pillars of that show. <laughs> Arguably one of the worst WrestleManias of all time. Yeah. yeah the Raw after Mania was so bad, people were fed up. This was like an all time like fuck you to WWE yeah. from the audience. And then we get oh, I'm here to show the world. Oh well, yeah, yeah. And and Ziggler. Ziggler wins the belt. He's like, ah, ah, give me my phrase. Yeah. And we're just like, bro, the PTSD is ridiculous. I'm triggered right now. I'm so triggered to a, to an era of WWE that I wish I could forget. Yeah. But I cannot forget. This is worse than like a breakup right now. This, oh this triggering, God. this triggering right now. I vividly remember these like, these people hijacking shows solely going to Raw and SmackDown literally just to say we want Ziggler we want Ziggler and this would be like in the middle of Alberto Del Rio cutting a promo Ricardo Rodriguez is out there you know God knows who my mother you know everybody out you got Santino Morel in the third row waiting for an intercontinental title open challenge like who the hell knows what's going on and you got people who we want Ziggler we want Ziggler like oh the memories oh my god yeah yeah, and I want to say this too, real quick, about John Cena's elbows, uh, baseball-sized elbow. The buster infection, yeah. He didn't go on a podcast and complain about that for an hour and a half. That that goes to show what a class act John Felix Anthony Cena Jr. is. All right? I'll say that now, please. Go Kevin, ahead. We need to clip that that rant I did. That's one of the great Elite Hate rants, I feel like. That was incredible. Um, Yeah. Look... That was my childhood growing up with this title. It was, for me, when I was watching this, it was always the afterthought. Whether it was, yeah, it was Sheamus and Big Show, whether it was Sheamus Del Rio, whether it was Ziggler and the Del Rio feud where Ziggler had the concussion and payback. I'll never forget that match. Uh, Ziggler's just like flopping like a fish and he's like concussed and he's just like throwing his head back and forth (laughs) and hitting the ground. And the whole Chicago is just booing Del Rio for 15 minutes. Just this title, and the whole point we're making here with this is that it took such a downturn that you got to the 2010s. And by the time this championship was unified with the WWE title at the end of 2013, it was like a good, thankfully it's gone. Um, but that being said, Kevin, one thing I do want to mention now, yes, we I've just, you know, bluntly described the the the, the fall of this championship, the, like, the decline of the World Heavyweight Championship. I've just brutally laid it out. It shouldn't have been unified. It shouldn't have especially the time period that was done. You had Batista coming back, and this is the end of 2013, beginning of 2014. This is WrestleMania 30 time. Batista was back. Brock was there. There were plenty of stars, and WWE sort of pigeonholed themselves and made it so there was one world title. This was the perfect time, Kevin. If you're going to have two world titles, so big gold, which is what we discussed, and the WWE title in 2014, that was the time to have two titles. You could have had... Batista beat Brock or Brock beat Batista for one of these titles. Maybe Roman Reigns in 2014 beats Batista or Brock. That makes him more of a star naturally. 
And then, you know, the WWE titles, Daniel Bryan versus The Authority, and then maybe Cena wins it back, or maybe Brock comes and beats Bryan, who knows? That's what you could have done. But Kevin, WWE just said, no, we're going to have one world title. Randy Orton is going to carry around big gold as like a meaningless prop as he comes down the WrestleMania 30 aisle way with, I hear voices cry. It's like all day, they're performing it. Orton will walk down looking like he doesn't want to be there with both titles, big gold, the WWE title. In deep in the heart of the Silver Dome in um, New Orleans, pal, it was just it was a letdown. What this title turned into, it just turned into a literal prop. It, it was just an extra title for the cha- the WWE champion to hold around. And eventually, they did away with it in I forget when, like a year later, I think, or within the next year. So, can, can we yeah, talk pal. about for one how awful that storyline buildup was for the unification match between Cena and Orton, the the TLC um, at TLC twenty thirteen. Literally, mm-hmm. that was when you had, like, Mark Henry's in the ring, Triple H is in the ring, all these great, like, world heavyweight champions. Triple H is going through the lineage, like, this is the two biggest stars unifying the two biggest belts. This is, uh, you know, Hogan, Andre of this generation. And literally, people are screaming for Daniel Bryan while Paul Levesque is talking. Like, so bad. And, like, the force feeding of this Cena-Orton thing which had been long overdue, long overdone, was over by that point. We had watched, I had watched at least growing up as a young boy, Cena and Orton fight each other a million times, and I was over it as like a a 10-year-old kid. I was like, make it stop, please, enough. I've I've seen enough of this. I don't want to see this again. And then I'm in high school again, getting PTSD, watching this storyline play out, where WWE's clearly ignoring that Daniel Bryan is the top guy in the company. You know, like, like, whether we agree with it or not, Daniel Bryan was the top guy at that at that point. Put the belt on him. Give him the world heavyweight championship. You know? Gotta be happy. But why do, why do we need this unification storyline where we're being told that legitimately these are the greatest champions in the history of wrestling? You got JBL out there screaming at the top of his lungs, like ha- having a, an all time like breakdown. Just like mentally going nuts, screaming about Randy Orton and like listing all his accomplishments, listing all of John Cena's accomplishments. It was like, oh, it was just um, tone deaf is a word you could use. Uh, Delusional is another word. It was like, what are we doing here? This. Yeah. That storyline, man. But I'll I'll say this I said all that. I want to circle back. So let's highlight the positives of this championship for a moment. So yeah. the great things that I think the leg that the this championship's legacy is the great feuds and reigns that were involved with with it, Christian and Orton, twenty eleven, that's an all time great rivalry. Um, you say Punk and Jeff Hardy? Would you put that? Yeah, that was a great yeah. story storyline. It was a great time to be a wrestling fan, and the stuff that Undertaker and Punk did was good. Uh, but we were talking about legacy defining stuff. Sean and Jericho from oh eight, uh, Batista Triple H. And uh, maybe Benoit winning the title, maybe that whole storyline, the, the triple threat at WrestleMania 20, that those yeah, are the Edge legacy Undertaker. definers. Edge Undertaker 24 as well, I'd throw in yeah. there, but yeah, WrestleMania yeah, 20 yeah. as well, 100%. Edge Undertaker, yeah, exactly. That was a great storyline, a great consistent storyline. They didn't always have the belt, but Edge Undertaker, yeah, that was good stuff. And they made an event at WrestleMania 24, one of the greatest WrestleMania main events of all time. So that, that title, it, it's in, involved in big storylines from... 04 to 08 yeah, in terms of like Wrestlemania season you know, 05 headlines 06 that was Rey Mysterio 07 Taker Batista 08 Undertaker Edge and then it just off a cliff after that Kevin do you think do you think it's fair to say the worst storyline uh, on like a like big stage storyline this title was involved in was WrestleMania 19, Triple H, Booker T. Yes. And the fact that that happened, what, four months after this title became a thing. Yeah. And we discussed it earlier at the start. They did the Elimination Chamber thing after Triple H had been given the title. Within a month or six weeks, we're seeing Triple H feud with Scott Steiner. And then within three months, we're seeing... Triple H with Ric Flair walking around, walking around the, the slums, pal, the ghettos, pal, making racist comments about Booker T and, and you know, black people. And that was a, a WrestleMania storyline for this title within six months of its conception. Like, Kevin, you're the, the more expert on this. You've 
deep dove into WrestleMania 19. You've discussed it, but talk to us now what that did for the title and how much of a negative connotation that gave the belt right out of the jump. It was, you know, it was like, um, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't want to say secondary because Triple H was pretty much the biggest star in the company at the time. So him walking around with the big gold belt, great representation of the belt. But it was like, um, this is necessary. Necessary. This is like a, a mid-card guy or undercard guy in Booker T at the time. He was literally doing like Star Wars segments with Golda. He wasn't doing anything of <clears throat> since he had debuted and had the feuds with Austin Rock. And Triple H just like throwing his weight around. It's like, yeah, better than this guy. And it it just yeah it it introduced the reign of terror, which is something that this WC or this uh, WCW big gold belt in WWE is pretty much synonymous for, is the reign of terror. And then it was like from there it was just Triple H working with his buddies, working with Sean, working with Nash. And then Goldberg gets an opportunity, and Vince's like, "Nah, we're gonna bury you, pal. You were in WCW. You got checks from Ted Turner, so you cannot win this belt right away." So it's basically literally like I remember vividly watching segments. I don't know how I remember this stuff. But Triple H just like jumping Goldberg, leaving him laying in the ring. Goldberg's like this animal. You got people holding him back, trying to get a Triple H. And it's just like, uh, you know, it could have been good in theory. A Triple H versus Goldberg feud could have been really good for this championship. But it didn't really do anything for it. And then to fast forward a little bit, then you get to 04, this big crowning moment with uh, Chris Benoit winning the championship. He's, the show goes off the air, hugging Eddie Guerrero, one of the most feel-good moments in the history of wrestling. Now it's not looked at the same way, obviously. Benoit holds the title four months, and it's kind of clear that he's not really a top guy. He's defending it in triple threat matches. You know, he's kind of in the mix. Like, Triple H is still the most important guy in the show. And then they give the, the championship to Randy Orton. And from what I've read and what people have said in interviews, that Randy Orton only got the championship at SummerSlam 04, so they could, to spite Brock, basically, so he could get the record for the youngest world champion. I, I don't remember who it was that said that, but it was somebody, some writer or something, some backstage personality, and I've seen it on, on Reddit forums. And, like, that's, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that you'd see with this. Like, Randy Orton, as a babyface in 04, having the championship, I recently found a, a clip, and I resurfaced it on my Twitter account, my fan page account, of Randy Orton doing, like, a terrible Triple H impression as a baby face. Um, and that's like, I mean, that's gotta be one of the worst reigns associated with this championship. That Randy Orton, that month of Randy Orton, he's jumping out of birthday cakes. You know, Triple H has strippers in the ring. Randy Orton's like, hey, hey guys, hey, I'm here. I'm a baby face world champion. I'm the youngest champion. Youngest champion now, you know? Just like, please go ahead, I'm rambling. No, I like what you're saying there, and the points you make are all valid. I just want to circle back because you were talking about 2013, like the the end of this championship. I want to just go, mention one more thing with that. You you bang on about how it was obvious Daniel Bryan was the top guy earlier. I bluntly described what was going on, but just in case you weren't watching that time, or you tuned out, or you were taking a break, or whatever, quite literally, Cena just came back from a this like infection thing in his elbow won the title from Del Rio just randomly at Hell in a Cell in October. Meanwhile, Orton just has the WWE title when it's clear Brian's beat him literally three straight pay-per-views at SummerSlam. Well, he beat Cena, but he was clearly the champion. He beat him at Night of Champions Clean. The match at Hell in a Cell, which that's used cheating. Battleground was a non-finish. Brian was clearly better. So Randy Orton and Cena are the champions of respective titles. They move into Survivor Series, Kevin. The show Survivor Series 2013 was so bad. The Smartbusters started making videos because of it. That's how bad that show was. You had Cena and Del Rio had like a 20-minute match. The Cena just won. Randy Orton was shooting with the Big Show in a storyline where Big Show was crying to Stephanie McMahon because Stephanie McMahon needs to pay for Big Show's house because Big Show had gone broke. That was literally the storyline. So Randy Orton just beats Big Show. And then Daniel Bryan, the top guy at the time, Kevin, was in a random throwaway nothing feud with punk and the white family why i don't know that was just happening so you get to the the end of the show kevin this big survivor series big four pay-per-view this epic event the show just ends randy orton he he lays out the the 46 year old big show he's raising the wwe title the authority are there and then cena's just there pal you can't see me we're gonna have a match pal 
And it's like, seriously. It's like, me, what, a joke, what a joke of a way to end this title. But yeah, now further, just circling back one more time, back to what we were discussing there, the, the Ruthless Aggression Era and this title, so much stuff, which I love that your Twitter account surfaces some of these clips with like Randy Orton and some of the stuff that went down when he held the title for a month and general clips from that sort of time with the Booker T stuff and Triple H and his, and his buddies. And thankfully, Triple H was a big star. So it wasn't just bouncing around mid carders right away in the early 2000s. But that being said, Kevin, my God, some of the stuff I'm listening to you talk about here with Randy Orton and him impersonating Triple H, him jumping out of the cake, pal. Oh, it's Paul Levesque. You know, it's just like, what is this? Ben, oh, Ben Wise having a match with Randy Orton, pal. Oh, it's like, okay, sure. Nice. Great stuff, pal. Um, so all in all, to kind of recap this, this championship, I would say I'd give its time in WWE. I'd give it like a, I want to say like a B minus, C plus. I would say, because uh, it did have good times. Like we said, we laid out all the good times. But there was a lot of bad. You know? There was a lot of bad involved in this. Involved in the reign of terror. Literally, like, Triple H held the belt for combined almost 700 days. That's the, the infamous time frame that you all... Literally from 02 to 05, it was just Triple H walking around burying former ECW guys and WCW guys. <laughs> you know, and Randy Orton. Buried Randy Orton. And we buried him so bad that Randy Orton's, uh, you know, the most decorated resume holder in the history of wrestling. So yeah, he really buried him, pal. He really buried Booker T. Booker T's still making money off wrestling, you know. So I, 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 I yeah. don't like using the term "bury." I use it in like a funny way there, but <clears throat> that's what this is known for. Um, on top of that, it's just it was just a prop mainly. Like they tried with Triple H to establish it as like a big championship. They tried again with Batista, but for whatever reason, it just never worked. Whether it was injury. Lack of competition. So I want to close with this question to you. Does WWE need two major world championships? It seems like any time that they've done this hasn't really worked out all that well. Well, they need is one world championship where the champion shows up. That's the right balance. Right. Because having one where the champion's not there doesn't work. We've seen that. And having one where the champion... And then again, you know, if there's... There's a great world champion. There's a great world champion. I think regardless of the title, um, I like your rating there, like a C plus or a B minus. I think that's fair. Um, one question I'll pose to you, and on the flip side, this world heavyweight title was around from, I mean, the end of '02. We'll say '03 through until 2013. Really, it's about a decade ish, eleven years. The universal title has been around since 2016. It's so now seven years. So it's getting to a similar point. I just quick. I'll throw the question out to you. How would you compare the legacies of the, the both? Because I know prior to Roman's reign, now the Universal Title was like the biggest failure of a world title ever. Now I guess that's gone from what like a D minus or an E to like I don't know maybe a C overall. Like for the seven years, I don't know. But um, yeah, I'll pose that to you. How do you compare the the big gold world titles, the secondary title versus the Universal Title? Well, the Universal Title was brought in to be the main title, really. That's the thing, like, they, they, that was the title that Brock held for a year. That was the title that was main eventing pay-per-view, main eventing WrestleMania over the WWE Championship. The WWE Championship became a secondary title when they introduced the Universal titles. A little bit of a different kind of space, you know? Because, yeah, the, the WWE title back in the Ruthless Aggression era, once Cena took it to Raw, that was the main title in the company. Winner mm -hmm. belt, that was the main one for... till the Universal title's inauguration. So it's kind of difficult, different, difficult rather to compare them. Dynamic, yeah. Yeah, it's different dynamic. Makes it difficult to compare them. When I look at it, if you're asking me to compare the world title and the universal title, which is what you're asking me, the uh, to me, the world title still has a better legacy than the universal title. I, I would say that firmly, and I'll stand by that. The universal title, yes, has been saved by Roman. But what is going to happen when Roman drops that title? Is it going to just disappear? He's going to get retired. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're going to get retired. We're going to get the WWE title back, presumably. Maybe we'll get a rebuff design. So I think that title's kind of doomed once Roman lets go of it. And it doesn't feel like... The Universal title does not feel like an actual championship. It just feels like like a... A prop. Know, like a prop, what? yeah. It doesn't yeah. feel like it has, it has no legacy, no lineage. 
know, and I know that stuff takes time to build. So, can you imagine that, like Reigns vacates or like whoever wins the title, like they they just they end the universal title, and then in like ten years on wrestling Twitter and wrestling forum, you got accounts saying bring back the universal championship. What a legendary belt! I think they need to bring it back. I'll show pictures of the. The, the red universal title that Finn Balor and Brock Lesnar held or the, the blue one Roman held and go, WWE needs to bring back the universal title. And like this revisionist history, because we saw this with the world heavyweight, big gold belt title from literally about 20, I'd say 15 through until the last couple of months where everyone's just, you know, every other day on Twitter, this tweet would circulate hundreds and hundreds of likes. WWE needs to bring back big gold, bring back big gold. They need to bring this belt back which I found interesting because obviously, as we've discussed, the tail end of this world heavyweight title in WWE is not something anyone with a brain would ask for to want back. Um, I guess it's just the aesthetic of the title. Um, people don't want this title it's to just be sitting in a museum somewhere. Um, so Triple H has bought it back sort of-ish with the new thing. So yeah, I'm no power. Um, but yeah, to give my overall grading, I'd give the big gold world heavyweight title in WWE from 02 to 13. I'd give it probably a probably a C to be honest. With it started really well, and then just the last like four years of that title it did irreparable damage. Brutal. It's sort of like WCW two thousand and the effect that had on WCW. Like the way it ended was just like my god, just get it, just finish it now, just end it, end it all. Um, so I'll give it a C. And Put a fork in it, pal. Yeah, I mean the the World Heavyweight Championship. The reason why you know you know you get those those. Uh... The, the craving of the fan base to bring it back is because of the lineage. You know, like I said earlier up top, like Rick, that's a belt that Ric Flair held. Belt that Ricky Steamboat held, that Sting held, Hogan held in yep. WCW. So it's like it has a it has a lineage, has a legacy, and I think it's important. Yeah, so that, that ends our discussion of the World Heavyweight Championship. So we got a new segment that yep. we're gonna try out. We're gonna talk about life. I don't know, what do you want to call this segment? I don't know. I, we'll think of a name in due time. Um, this is just sort of a, a, a pilot version. Um, I think this was spawned off the back of your incredible segment in our Night of Champions review where you're mentioning blow by blow what your family were like saying and re- recounting while watching Night of Champions, which I don't know about you listeners. I thought that was one of the best segments we've had on the show. I thought that was hilarious and it's great perspective as far as outside the wrestling bubble what people think watching this sort of stuff. So I loved it. Um, I guess, yeah, throw it to you, pal. Where do you want to kick us off with this? Yeah, and, w- and what makes this interesting too is that, you know, we come from different backgrounds. You know, you're, you're, you're out in Australia. I'm in the United States. I'm in a different part of the United States that's really different from the rest of the country being yes. in Florida. So I, it's kind of, you know, it's a unique dynamic between the two of us. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think it makes for an interesting topic. So I want to ask you about, about dating in Australia. Right. Mm-hmm. What what's like right. overall? What's the uh, the go to out there? Is it the apps? Is it approaching people at bars? Is it you know running into people by coincidence? Like what what's the climate like out there? Uh, it's sort of not to say it's the same as I mean you mentioned the where you are in America is a bit different to other parts. Yeah, but it's it's more so the same as most other Western countries in that it's mainly going to be through apps, which is questionable as is. Um, you know, dating apps are dating apps. It's like, if you're really going to try and get something out of that, then, I mean, fair play to you, you can, but it's more so used for, you know, short-term stuff. But I know, you know, nighttime stuff, approaching at bar, that sort of thing, I guess. But are you really going to find your wife there? Like, I don't know. Um, I guess more so, I guess, either through who you work with or like gyms or more so just casual general social outings would be your best kind of bet from my experiences per se. Um, Cause I don't know, it's just sort of just the type of person you want almost. If you know, you're looking for someone to be with for a day or two, then, you know, night game, cold approach, pal at the bar, drinks, you know, <laughs> on, on Tinder, on Hinge. Like that's, you know, you, you go to, but I, I don't know if you're going to find the, the love of your life, the, your wife from that. I, I don't know, pal, but I don't know. What, what's it like where you're at? You mentioned it's like a different environment of the US where you are like back to you like what's it like there so like, so for one on the to address what you're saying about the dating apps uh, not to give people hope because you know it's a, it's a low odds thing but i know yeah. a lot of people in real life that have met their like wives dating apps on tinder i know a guy that that's getting married to a girl he met on tinder 
know someone that's been in a long-term relationship met the girl on hinge a lot of my family members met, one of my brothers met his fiance on uh eHarmony or whatever something like that yeah you know so i've seen the success stories on it um but no like so one thing about south florida where i'm at you know this is mainly like like miami and like this area if you're going out and you're approaching women at the bar you got to have some kind of status like for one me i don't personally fit the uh archetype of what the average woman is looking for they're looking for a white guy that's like six foot three with money you know jewelry nice car it's very superficial is what i'm trying to say the, the dating atmosphere here is very superficial compared to other regions of even florida and the rest of the world it's like you got to have status you got to be a baller you know so it's like the women are looking for majority of the women the basic women the average woman they're looking for a low percentage of the male population i don't know if you've seen those tiktoks where you have like the the podcast host is destroying the women fresh and fit yeah i've i've watched that stuff all the time it, it's yeah i know what you mean but Pat, it's funny you, like you can attest to that as someone who lives in the area yeah how much about status how much about you know superficial stuff it is because you say i've watched those shows and i go surely this it has to be like an you know not an elaboration but a you know i guess a bit of a carry-on like a bit you know put a bit of mustard on it yeah. it's not like that it's that legit. bad but to hear you say that it's like yeah no it, that sounds legit you know everything they say on those shows you can attest to which is yeah yeah exactly go. now now this is not to say that you know you can't there's so many there's so many people here you go you can go to a grocery store and talk to a nice girl as a cashier you know you have to kind of wean out which ones are um are like that that's superficial you kind of have to wean them out quickly you got to be able to know because if you don't know you're gonna get played out real quick mm-hmm. like i went to a bar one time or i went to a club one time with and this girl walks up to me specifically i don't know why she came up to me came up she's talking to me and she's all like oh buy me and my friend shots it's her 21st birthday and i was like Okay. No. Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna out anybody, but I did have somebody that bought them shots that I know, and uh, they literally, literally walked away from us drinking the shot. Literally walked away from us. I was like, bro, you're. So that's a lot of the stuff you see out in the club yeah. scene, in the bar scene. Like, uh, like literally, I, I saw like a, a Miami Marlins player, big baller, rich guy, just sitting at the club, and it's like, whoa. Okay. So it's uh, you know, you see like athletes celebrities you know it's uh it's not it's not a it's not as fun you know <laughs> going you gotta have money to go out it's very expensive yeah it's like 20 bucks for a drink um Jesus. yeah uh, no go ahead like over here like that's the same probably in, you probably reckon the gold coast um that's probably the, the only equivalent like that's the australian version of where you have the the, the bulk of either your influences your your of models your you know, all that sort of stuff. That's the sort of, not the party area, but it's the closest thing we have to like a Miami sort of thing with like nightlife, that sort of type of deal. Um, you know, the beaches, the the accommodations, the big hotels, all that sort of stuff. It's probably the closest we get. Um, down more so, down, not south where I am, but you move further down the coastline and it's, you know, it's not exactly the same. Um, it's much more, I don't know. It, it, it's not, it's not, it's, it's a different kind of environment to you with that. Like from my experiences in those situations, those sort of people aren't really where I'm at because it's not exactly an area, you know, where the big ballers come out with the watches and the, the big six foot four status guys are, are there and the whole, whole club of sections like, Oh my God, he plays with the dolphins or the Marlins. Like it's a, yeah, it's a bit different. It's more so just yeah. you know, everyday sort of people going out type deal where I'm at which is it's a different sort of environment. It's more so just people go out in friend groups almost, and there isn't as much of the mingling, which has been the same thing since COVID happened, really. Um, that's sort of, and I don't know what it's like where you're at, but since COVID happened, it's more so become any kind of night outings will be like you stay with your group of friends, and that's just what happens. It's not, there's not as much sort of intermingling as there would be generally. Um, not to say there isn't, but that's my experience, pal. What's it like in that regard for you? Like the bar scene? Yeah, like as, ever since COVID, has things become different, or is no, it just been, no? There was no COVID in Florida. Oh, like, that's true. Yeah, there was that's not. True. There was no COVID. I was at bars like literally three months into the pandemic. That's like, like everything shut down probably from March, April, May, June, and July. Everything was open. You know, you could go to a bar, go to a club, go to strip clubs were open. Yeah, everything was open. Yeah, it doesn't, like I said, it doesn't apply. There was the rest of the world does not apply to me. You know, in California, 
you literally could not go into a restaurant without a mask and like a um a vaccine card just to pick up takeout to like 2021 like the end of 2021 but in florida everything was open house parties and all the shit you see on social media but like jake paul hosting house parties like that's real bro like that's, that's what it was like that's nuts because over here it was like it was snap lockdowns it was just like oh my god there's one case of the cough cough shut down the whole city power you'll stay inside for two weeks it was nuts yeah. so that's just that boggles my mind you know they're like where you're at over there that was the environment yeah. and i'm just like oh yeah whatever Literally. that's crazy he's like over here and like especially australia generally but like like i'm where all the politicians are at that, that's my part of the world you know my part of australia so you know any they just want to make rules oh my god we're gonna lock the whole area down we're gonna lock the whole city down you stay inside it's like bro this thing came into our country a year and a half ago and you're still trying to make sure there's no one case like stop we, we need to be inside for three straight months people are you know dying for different reasons because of that stop this is ridiculous like literally yeah it was a, yeah it was a whole thing but that's no, crazy legit. that's nuts to me legit yeah it's it's literally what you see on tv and on the news is very real um like i say uh, and, and another thing too is dudes are ballsy man dudes are ballsy out here I'm sure it's like that in Australia, but how so? How so? What do you mean? So I went to Orlando with my ex fiance two years ago, roughly around this time. It was like around a time when Punk returned. I was literally we were in a hotel watching Punk's return at, at Rampage uh, in Orlando, and we went out one night uh, just downtown Orlando. It's crazy. Like we're in like a we're in like a um, I don't even know what you would call it, like a taco bar. Um, right. Maybe a few people in there. Walk in. Uh, there's like people dancing on each other, like going crazy. It's just like a, like I think it's just a place to get a drink and have food. But no, there's they're going nuts. Um, so I go to the bathroom and I come back and I literally see a dude approaching my my fiance at the time. Like, <laughs> like and I was just like, bro, I've I've been here five minutes, bro. You know, and and, and she, I mean, you know, she was a pretty girl. I'm not gonna say that she was ugly or nothing. She was a very good looking girl, and got she attracted that kind of attention a lot. Like it happened a lot. And then like like, like later that night. We had a, uh, what's the, the politically correct term I can use? We had a woman that liked women helping us at a, at okay. a, at a taco. Uh, a member of the LGBTQ plus community. Yes, yes, exactly. And, and my fiance at the time was drunk, very drunk. And she was like, she was talking to the person that was working there. And literally the person working there is hitting on her while I'm right, I'm standing right there. But she's hitting on her in an indirect way. She's like, oh man, you're so lucky. Like she's telling me, oh, you're so lucky. Your girl's beautiful. No, and she knows your order. She knows your what you want to drink. She just she knows you. That's the kind of energy I need in my life. I need a woman like that. And I'm just like, all right, can I get my food? <laughs> can I just get your food and bounce? Just thank you. I appreciate the attempt, but just just no. no yeah, yeah. Literally, and she's got a, she had a big ring on on her finger at the time, and I'm like, bro, like the guy at the bar, I'm like, bro, did you not see that? Like, did you not see that she got a ring? So disrespectful, man. This, that's that is outrageous no that, that's crazy yeah and that, that stuff happens quite a bit you know love you leave the bar you leave the bathroom for two minutes you come back and it's like bro i left for 90 seconds what's going on <laughs> like yeah. exactly and i know she was like yeah i'm married get the fuck away from me you know so i don't have nothing to worry about at that time you know as far as that so like i wasn't tripping or anything but i'm just looking at the guy like come on you saw us walking that's just like, that's like I know I'm a small guy, I get that, but uh, but take care of business if I gotta take care of business, you know. So, but yeah, that's just that's what that's just one of the many things that it's the nightlife's crazy. It's beautiful. Yeah, and one thing I will ask you, and but I guess we can round out with this question. Obviously, being a wrestling fan, pal. I guess the environment of being a wrestling fan, where you're at, I want to ask that because to me. It's, it's sort of just you know like i'll wear let's say a i don't know like the, the greatness amongst you roman reigns shirt that i've worn on the show you know once or twice i'll wear that around and like that's cool like you know people are like it's kind of cool shirt they don't know who roman is like yeah, it's very like it feels like how anyone watches wrestling i haven't seen one other wrestling shirt in any in like really ever i've seen like one which is crazy obviously i've heard you you've told me off off show the amount of conversations you've had with other colleagues or friends you know or you know people who are big new japan fans or just generally wrestling fans they know omega they know double beauty they've been growing up watching talk just about the environment with wrestling fandom over there where you're at your experiences how many people you know who are wrestling fans that sort of thing because to me damn near no one yeah i'm like the only one so. love it 
Yeah, so basically it's the kind of environment where, like, literally if I wear one of my Macho Man shirts, I will always have somebody shout it out. Like, I'll be at, at the movies in line, and a guy would be like, oh, my God, I love that shirt. I love Macho Man. And it's somebody, like, 50 years old, you know? Cool. And they're doing the accent, you know, they're doing the, oh, Elizabeth, oh, yeah. It literally, it never fails. Legitimately, every time I wear a Macho Man shirt, I will get said, said something to. Every, every single time. It's never happened. It's never not happened. Yeah. Um, you know, like, I rock this shirt. This shirt that people don't know that it's wrestling, but it's the I'm your poppy Eddie Guerrero shirt. I'll get women yeah. that would be like, oh, oh, you're my, okay. Like I'll get women that'll be flirty about it. You know what I mean? Um, this shirt always gets a reaction, always gets a laugh out of people. You know, um, the other the other one I have the Eddie Guerrero one, the um, the Scarface one. That one too mm-hmm. gets a ton of attention. And like I go to work, anywhere that I've worked, I've met people that like wrestling. You know? Like I'll be like one day I was at Chick Fil A getting food and the guy's like i was wearing i don't even know what shirt i was wearing i think it was an AEW shirt it had to be and the guy was like oh my god you're gonna watch double or nothing and we're talking about AEW. we're talking about double or nothing uh, i was at the gym like two weeks ago three weeks ago rocking my cm punk shirt this guy talked to me for like the guy working behind the counter talked to me for like 20 minutes about how he's going to see uh AEW in miami when they when they came down um like earlier in may or whatever it was and it's just bro it, it's it's wrestling is part of the culture you know this isn't like chicago this isn't um chicago or new york or like the uk but wrestling is really big down here you know and um and people have a knowledge of it you know like i could go i could go up to anyone and ask them a wrestling question not be weird like it it wouldn't be like oh oh talking about like i could just throw wrestling into a conversation anytime and people will have something to say about it regardless of like if they like it if they're a big fan but it's very uh very much part of the culture yeah, because like my best friend probably he all he knows right is that like Roman's been champion forever basically, right. and um every like three months he would just literally message me be like, "Wait, is Roman still champion?" I'm like, "Yep, and it's been that way <laughs> literally since like you know nearly COVID started basically in like August 2020. It's been like that. Is Roman still champion? Yes. Oh, really? Ill. You know, <laughs> it's just like that's just an ongoing thing, yeah. and that's really the only sort of wrestling interactions I'll have because I'll wear shirts and no one will. You won't get a comment. No one will really. It's just like okay, people are saying it, okay, and just move on. It's like it's like a whole different lifestyle. It's all, it's a different world altogether, which I guess is a testament to the the reach in Florida and like the, the how much of wrestling is in the culture where you're at and where some other places in the states, particularly. Um, I'm not exactly about the UK. I imagine it'd be similar. Um, because yeah, down, down under in Australia particularly like the nation's capital, this sort of element, it's it's like a few and far between. I, you hardly, I'll mention maybe Cena personally, and people will know who John Cena is or know who The Rock is. That's more so as celebrities. And then elsewhere, I mean, yeah, if you've watched UFC, you'll know Brock and you'll know he's done some WWE. And you might know The Undertaker or Triple H, like, like the absolute all-time timers. But, you know, elsewhere, it's just not something people care about which is yeah, it's a different lifestyle to you, which I find so interesting. It's what that makes the dynamic cool, I guess. Because to me, I don't really have the outlet to discuss wrestling now. There isn't like a thing where I'm going to go to a coffee shop wearing a shirt like you're wearing and have a 20-minute discussion about the risk aggression error and AEW show that's coming to town in a month or two and WWE's WrestleMania. And I don't have that outlet. So, yeah, it's an interesting dynamic. Yeah, it's awesome. It it's really cool. Yeah. Uh, it's just like, uh, like, it's very prevalent. Like, pretty much everybody my age watched wrestling at one point they all like i haven't met a person that's told me no i never watched wrestling everybody at one point they watched whether it was like a year or two or like i have one friend that was like that was like in love with the day of reckoning games yeah. but never played like smackdown versus raw or anything he was just like man can you make a youtube video on the day of reckoning games like i really just i love the day of reckoning games or i have someone yeah. that's like oh wwe 12 i played that game all day long when i was a kid so it's like everyone my age just has some sort of like connection to it hmm which is cool it's uh so like you know like if i tell people that i'm a youtuber a wrestling youtuber it's not that weird you know it's not yeah i wouldn't tell a girl this on a first date or anything yeah it's like flirting with, but like i could tell like like a friend and they're not gonna be like oh that's weird that's for kids you know or anything it, yeah you know, most people think it's cool mm. yeah no I'll, I'll just usually say like, yeah you know i'm a youtuber do a podcast you know and then yeah you show them for me at least what i found is like I show the channel and they see like the numbers of like subs, views, all that stuff. And then it doesn't really matter what the topic is. Like, oh my God, you get like 5K views on your video. Oh my God, that video is 100,000 views or 
that sort of thing and just becomes about the, the sheer numbers as opposed to the topic right um as you say it's not for me at least something i rush around going i make wrestling youtube videos guys guys subscribe to me look at my channel i made a video about the shield and their triple threat match guys look backlash 2023 i'm not like that um but there's no real climate for that where i'm at but you know the fact that you know at least my stuff and I mean, your stuff as well we got 2.6 k subs i think yeah. from last show yeah and then you know our show we do like it, get, it gets some notoriety it's not like we just talk about wrestling but no one um which you know yeah i feel like if i did that and I, i'd mention that you'd be like haha what you do that really um but no pe people care so therefore you know it, it's it's fine now, that's a good point though as long as you have as long as you put up numbers people don't care yeah but uh, yeah, I mean, I'll end with this story, I guess. I had so my barber was like talking to me about wrestling. I don't know how we got on this. We're talking about like he's like a super Ultimate Warrior guy, and he had never heard of like any of the stuff about Ultimate Warrior, like him being racist and phobic mm -hmm. and all that. I told him about this, and I was just he was like mind blown. He was like, "Oh my god, you just ruined my childhood, bro! <laughs> like <laughs> you literally just ruined my childhood." Wrestling um, uncovered you, asshole. You ruined his childhood, right? I sent him the video. Uh, that I made on Ultimate Warrior, and he was like, I don't care, I'm still an Ultimate Warrior fan. But that was cool to see. It was like, you know, so it's just conversations like that, bro. I can plug my, my channel to people that are close to me. Awesome. Great, this old wrestling thing, pal. But yeah, let's get that. it out of here, pal. I just, I, just, I just love that video, that Ultimate Warrior video you made. You know, you, you spend seven minutes being like, like in, in your very calm, journalistic, <laughs> well-put-together, recorded voice. Like ripping to shreds is like legend all behind the scenes and everything horrible he's done. You got like the din -din 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 -din, like your classic music in the background, right? Not the MJF one, the other song that you use like most videos, yeah. And, uh, and you, you know, you're just calmly explaining Ultimate Warrior did this backstage, Jim Helwig said this, <laughs> Jim Helwig went to this situation. It's, just, it's like peak wrestling uncovered, pal. Yeah, one of my favorite videos ever. <laughs> Love that video so much. What, what is your favorite video, pal? Um, honestly, my favorite video that I'm most proud of is the Benoit and Miz backstage story. Honestly, yeah. like, that's my favorite video. I had the most fun. I had the most fun making the Benoit video. That one I was, like, really into, you know, writing the script and all that. But I'm really pleased with how that, ben that uh, Benoit and Miz storyline, or the backstage drama video played out. That that was kind of the inspiration for the, uh, the movement that I'm trying to make now with my channel. So, yeah. No, that's the W pal. And uh, for me, like, I've got this whole playlist on my channel, <clears throat> the pillars of JTE to rip off an AW um, expression. I've just got my 15 favorite videos all time in one playlist. So that's all my best stuff. For me, the um, What If CM Punk Never Left WWE is probably my, my favorite work. It's like a five year what if timeline where, like, instead of the, what we just went over earlier in this show with the, the mess WWE did in the early 2010s, it's this well put together 25 minutes of. Like you finished the video and like I watched it back like the other week. I was like, I can't believe I made that. That was really good. Like I made that video. Like that was great. Um, but the audio was kind of poor because it was like three years ago and I didn't fix my microphone until like two years ago. So yeah. Anyway, pal. That's See you, pal. There you go. Yeah. All right. So uh yeah, maybe we'll keep this segment. Who knows? So let us know what you guys think about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll I'll at you on the next one.